You're listening to All The Best. I'm Maddie McQueen, and I always cry at the end of movies. It doesn't matter if it's an Oscar winner or a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes, I still cry. I can't help it. The thing that gets me most isn't the ending, it's what's to come. The worst offenders are Adam Sandler-style rom-coms with ultra-cheesy flash-forward scenes. It's like six months later, everyone's coupled up, someone has a baby on the way, and they're playing some emotionally manipulative music. There are just so many possibilities. It's the perfect formula to tug at my heartstrings. This week, I'm saying goodbye to all the best. It's my last show. But we're also saying hello to our new host, Helena Baroni-Peters. Hi, Helena. Hello, Maddie. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. One really important question. Yes. Do you cry during movies? Oh, my God. All the time. <laughs> I, I actually never used to cry. I used to pride myself on being like extremely stoic. And then, I I don't know, something just changed and the floodgates opened and I'm now like the biggest crier. <laughs> what was it that eventually got you? It was actually like I cried for the first time in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is like not a sad movie. Why? <laughs> it's like, I I don't know what it was, but there's like one scene in that movie where the ape is like getting sprayed by water. and. I don't know, something about that sad, wet ape just really, really got me. From then on, I was gone. Now I'm cry at anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> any, like, major chord in a film, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it is that makes you cry? Like, what are the biggest pushes to get you to cry in a movie? I think, honestly, it's it would just definitely be the m- music. Like, I'm sure that's the same with everyone. I think any, like, any heartfelt moment, a look, a, ma- like a major chord. The swell in the, the swell in Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the orchestra comes in and I'm like, oh, here we go. No. It's happening. <laughs> Do you, have you ever had that, like, altitude thing happen to you where you're in a plane? You know how you're, like, more likely to cry when you're at an altitude? Really? Yeah. It's a thing. Oh, well, I probably don't notice because I'm just crying the whole time. Anyway. You're just crying the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like, does not change much. Wow, is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. When you're, I don't, I don't know the, the research. Yeah. I'm not a scientist, that's but fine. I have been told that if you're at a higher altitude, wow. you're more likely to cry in a movie. I do. I quite like that when you're like on an airplane and you look around and you're crying and then you like make eye contact with someone else who's also crying and watching a movie and you're like, wearing this together. You <laughs> I feel you. Well, yeah, do you think it's the higher altitude or maybe it's just like a permission to cry in public that you don't usually yeah, get? Exactly. It's like everyone's asleep and there's like two people, two solo movie watchers who are just like sobbing their eyes out. <laughs> what about the ends of movies? I guess we're talking about the ends of movies here. Mm. Is that like a are you like me, someone who like is struggling to wipe away the tears as you exit the movie theater, or can you like <laughs> get yourself myself. together? Yeah, no, I definitely. I think, I think we share a lot in common. 
<laughs> definitely. Like, I think I sometimes t- have to take a moment in the credits to just like settle myself and then, you know, go back, go out into the world. <laughs> um, well, Helena, would you like to intro our first story? I would love to. In our first story, producer Matilda Fay talks to Tamil refugees Vanush and Ramsia about their lives post-detention. Every year on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter, activists, religious organisations and NGOs gather for rallies around the country for refugee rights. This year there was a particular focus on the refugees who are still in detention offshore and those detained here in Australia after being brought here under the Medivac legislation. I'm a member of Refugee Action Coalition, which is one of the activist groups behind the Sydney rally. For eight years now, which is much longer than I've been involved, we've been calling for an end to offshore detention. And now some of those refugees who were detained offshore have finally been released from detention into the Australian community. And this year we were able to march alongside them. Farnush and Ramsia are two Tamil refugees who spoke at the Sydney rally. Yeah, my name is Thanos. I was in detention eight years of my life. Um, I got my freedom two months ago. And I got switching visa, six-month visa on temporary visa. My name is Ramsia. Mm, I am eight years in detention. First of all, I am in Manus Island six and a half years. Then I'm one year and three months in Mendra Hotel. Two months ago, I am released. Mm, really very happy to release, but our friends are still in detention. That's why I am worried about them. The decisions about who is released and when seem really arbitrary, and it's reportedly creating quite a bit of despair and confusion for the guys who remain in detention, wondering when or if their time will come. So why is the government still clinging to keeping these men detained and spending so much money doing so? To answer that, we kind of need to zoom back through the last decade of politics in Australia. In 2013, Kevin Rudd famously told us that... From now on, any asylum seeker who arrives in Australia by boat will have no chance of being settled in Australia as refugees. Asylum seekers who'd arrived by boat were sent to detention centres overseas on Manus Island in Papua New Guinea and in Nauru. And this was then held in place by successive governments with bipartisan support from Liberal and Labor. The boats will be stopped. Those passengers will never settle in this country. You have sought to illegally enter Australia by boat. The bipartisan position. We're going to take a very tough and rigorous approach. You will not be resettled in the Australia. The door to Australia is closed. You will those never who seek to come live here in Australia by boat. Have a processing centre in Nauru. Because we are in command of our borders. A significant turning point was in 2019, when under mounting political pressure from the public, Parliament passed legislation that meant doctors could compel the government to medically evacuate unwell refugees from offshore detention for treatment in Australia. This legislation was passed with the support of Labor, Greens and some independent MPs, despite being firmly opposed by the sitting coalition government. Gradually, some refugees were brought to Australia on doctor's orders. But even then, they were kept in detention in hotels in Brisbane and Melbourne. 
many still haven't received the medical treatment that they were sent to Australia for. Now, through a long series of legal cases and seemingly arbitrary government decisions, some are being released. I asked Ramzia how it felt to get his freedom. Past eight years, I never heard any good news. All the immigration told me, you never ever settle in Australia. You will never resettle in Australia. Then, finally, we got after eight years, they said tomorrow is released. Really, that time, really, I can't believe that, but I um, look like flying, you know, really very happy, proud time. More than 1,200 of the people sent offshore in 2013 are now living in the Australian community. But their visas are completely uncertain. They can't reunite with family overseas. They have no access to education. They can't get access to Centrelink. They were denied job seeker and job keeper during the pandemic. Asylum seekers who are deemed to be refugees can't be forcibly sent back to their country of origin. But the government seems hell-bent on not giving them permanency either. I have to rebuild our life past eight years. That's very hard. After eight years, we are lots of pain. But after eight years, they give the six-month visa. This is not for the permanent solution for us. We need a permanent solution. Uh, I want to rebuild our life. When the Medivac refugees are released from hotel detention, they're given a six-month temporary bridging visa and just three weeks' accommodation. The government gives them $150 per week for the first three weeks, but there's no government support after that. <laughs> you know one thing, government, when I was in detention centre, day by one day they spent $1,000. Now, when I release, they give the $150 per week. This is, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how to do that. We don't have without job, $150, how, do, how did you make that life? Really, I don't know that. Uh, I just, for first dinner and lunch is finished already. <laughs> without government financial support, they need to get jobs, but the temporary visa makes this really difficult. With temporary visa, we couldn't find job easily because all the companies expect the permanent visa holder via temporary visa holder. I don't know after six months what will happen, but uh, we have lots of support and love from community. They are look after us. We're here because we believe taking action makes a difference. It's the only reason our brothers are out here with us today. We have a number of them in this crowd today. Over the years, successive Australian governments have effectively made these guys a political football to prove how hard they can make their border policies. These refugees have gone through immense amounts of pain, all because they've been made a scapegoat over a political issue about boat arrivals. With temporary visas, no financial support, and still worried for many of their friends who are still in detention, that pain is still not over. If you ask me, the whole thing is infuriating and we should all be really angry about it. I asked Thanush what he thought. Are you angry after eight years? <laughs> Definitely, but um, eight years of my life were taken from them with no reason. It's very hard things, uh, but I know the value of freedom and pain of being separate from family. But my wish is no one ever lose their freedom uh, with no reason or they not 
lost their connection with family. That story was produced by Matilda Fay. You can get involved with Refugee Action Coalition in Sydney by visiting refugeeaction.org.au or keep an eye out for rallies in your local area. Having a crush can be soul-destroying. It's even worse when it's on your best friend. I fell in love with someone, placed her on high ground, a pedestal. She captured every essence of beauty radiated a sorrow world of mine to that of colour, leaving me smitten by each smile I see, so warm I long for more. However, today I've come to realise almost three years how blind I was to have looked past these red flags, doubted its existence and let emotions cloud the truth. With thoughts of concern unconsciously digging deep, in an effort to connect an ultimate reality to a weak heart of mine, that she isn't who I expected her to be, nor who I wanted to be. As if the person now is different, strange, alien even. It makes me question, who are you? Where each decision of hers run experimental, impulsive, with no care for the aftermath. An unjust confusion of personal desire, a lost cause on repeat almost cyclical. There, reality grips me hard by facts which I can't ignore. Simply, she isn't the one. As much as I hoped she was. The very thought of it has now subsided into a far distant dream. As I learned finally of my self-worth, for I have been blinded by love to ignore such truths, for this path to growth, I'm now woke, to see what I deserve in life, which is everything she couldn't be.
That poem was written and read by Vivian Tran. It was produced by Danny Stewart. You can find more of Vivian's poetry on her Instagram at unchaste.poetry. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. And I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. In our final story, Mel tells us why she loves leaving places to start anew. I've always loved leaving. When I was 18, straight out of high school, I packed everything I owned into my little Suzuki Vitara and took off around Australia. In an early 2000s reality that seems inconceivable today, I didn't have a mobile phone, so the only way I could contact family and friends was through payphones and letters, neither of which I did very often at all. I was gone for nine months and it felt amazing. The act of leaving and the self-sufficiency of my movable, tiny home. I felt freer than I had ever felt. The insipid, pastel world that I had grown up in slowly fell away and everything was bright, oversaturated, visceral and sensual. I never went home. Well... I went back to visit, of course, but I never returned to that grassy five-acre hobby farm in a way that felt like coming home. The bug had bitten and there was no going back. I worked in an ice cream shop in a beach town for a while. I met two awesome dudes who kind of took me under their wing and we decided to all move to Wollongong together and start uni. They felt like family for a while. We messed around a lot and didn't do much uni work. Wollongong was fun. But one day, out of the blue, I was sitting on the uni lawns with my best friend and I picked up a newspaper. On the cover was an article. Hobart had been voted in the top 10 most livable cities in the world. Let's get out of here, I said. Let's just pack up our things and go, just drive away. The bug must have bitten him too, because in what seemed like no time at all, we were gone, driving down to a southern island we knew nothing about. Nor did I really care to know anything about Tasmania, because it was always more about leaving than it was about the destination. I remember the feeling of driving away from Wollongong, 
In that moment, I loved the place more than I ever had when I'd called it home. Lutrawitta, Tasmania, was something else entirely. That place got the closest any place had ever gotten to breaking my geographical non-monogamy. Something about its wildness and isolation matched my own, made me almost want to put down roots. Sure, I spent three years moving back and forth between the mainland and the island, trying not to get too attached, playing hard to get. But one day, sailing into the harbour on the spirit, those mountains and the cold air felt too much like home, and I decided to stay. And then, last March, flying back from a holiday in Spain, all of a sudden, it didn't feel like home anymore. I started applying for jobs literally everywhere. Whatever I got, I'd move there, I told myself. And that's how I ended up in Nam, Melbourne. I didn't expect anything from Nam except a job, but I'm already falling in love. The creative energy of everyone around me fills me with joy and excitement to be alive. The gigs and the long conversations that make you forget you're in a noisy bar. Digging through trash on the side of the road and rollerblading through busy streets. Dodging car doors. I love it all. I know it would do me good to settle in here for a while and finally get some projects off the ground. I can't help but wonder, though, how long it will be until the bug bites again and I want to see this place through the rear vision mirror of a little Suzuki Vitara. That story was produced by Mel Chun. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. All the best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands and 8CCC on Arunda and Wurrumungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay is our social media producer. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Brony-Peters, and I'll catch you next week. I'm Maddie McQueen. For the last time, thanks for listening, and all the best.
Hey, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Hi, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. It's Lee Robinson. Danny here. Tange Moran from Melbourne. Allison here. It's Ryan. Just want to send you my best wishes now that you're leaving your post at all the best and to tell you how much I'm going to miss listening to your voice each week. It's really soothing and I think you should consider making a meditation app. It's been so much fun writing and recording the script with you this year. I love hearing anecdotes from your life, both on and off mic, and I especially love how much cruder they are off mic. Congrats on a job very well done with all the best. Thank you so much for all the love, passion and dedication you put into all the best. Thank you for everything that you've done for all the best. You have stuck with it even while relocating cities. I remember I wrote a line for you that was like, as the host of a podcast, I know exactly what it's like to have a baby. Making a podcast is not the same as raising a child, but it does take a lot more of your love creativity and patience than maybe you anticipated at the outset. It becomes a big part of your life. It's something that you should celebrate and feel proud of. I'm so proud of you and I'm so grateful for you. You are enormously talented and I'll miss hearing you on the show each week. I'm looking forward to seeing all the amazing work that you continue to do in the community radio space and beyond. You're such a good egg and I'm going to miss working with you so much. I can't wait to see all the amazing things you do in the future. And best of luck with what you have coming up in the future. I'm really thankful that I got to record the show with you every week. But mostly I'm glad that I made a friend that I treasure almost as much as the podcasts I make.